0: good morning it is good to be together on the lord's day we are thankful that you are here we have several visitors with us today and we are always delighted to have uh the company we hope you'll stay around afterwards that we can meet you and greet you tonight we will meet at six o'clock and we hope you can be back at that time we're going to do questions and answers tonight i actually have not done that since i think may because the summer series has been going on on sunday night And so I've got a lot of questions, and some good questions. I've got a couple that have been turned in from the kids, and sometimes some of the best questions come from the kids. So I'm looking forward to doing that tonight. The sermon this morning, as you can see on the board, is entitled, The Saddest Scene Ever Seen. I actually heard this lesson at Polishing the Pulpit, and I thought it was a great lesson. I have altered it considerably And shortened it considerably. I won't tell you who did it, because if I botch it up, I don't want it to reflect on him. But it is uh, a good sermon. The saddest scene ever seen. I want you to think this morning of something that is sad. I know that's a strange way to start a sermon. But what is the saddest thing that has ever happened? What would you say that would be? Let me make some suggestions to you. Perhaps the very first sin in the garden would be the saddest thing. Genesis chapter 3, the day that sin came into the world, it changed this world forever since that day. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 indicates that the cost of what took place on that day resulted in taking us from garden to garden. What had she done? What had Eve done? It cost the second member of the Godhead And so thousands of years later, we would see a member of the Godhead himself wrapped in flesh, weeping and wailing and suffering in another garden because of what was done on that day. Perhaps the saddest day in history. Someone else might say, what about the flood?" You know, when you think about the flood, Matthew 24, 38, and 39, the day that Noah entered into the ark, the Bible says they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and knew not till the flood came and took them all away. What must it have been like when the flood came and you found yourself outside the ark and the water is rising and you've got children and you've got a family and you can't get away? What about the Holocaust? Families were torn apart. There were death camps, gas chambers, firing squads, starvations. I've I've read that millions were killed during the Holocaust. Maybe the Trail of Tears. Sherry and I saw a program where they dealt with this recently. The paths of many displaced. They're dying. Or maybe just war in general. You know, the battlefield, the threat, the loss of life, things that you see and hear when you are in war, it changes people. People go to war one way and they come back another way. In fact, even during Solomon's day, Solomon said, the the scripture reading this morning, Ecclesiastes 4, Solomon says, so I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. It almost sounds like Solomon has been out touring the kingdom, And he comes back and he says, I returned and I considered all of these things. And maybe he's writing about them. And he says, Behold the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. He said, On the side of the oppressor, they had power against them, but they had no comforter. In considering the things that Solomon saw, he went on to say, Wherefore, as a result of the things that I have seen, I praise the dead, which are already dead, more than the living that are alive. Your heart breaks. Your mind races, trying to imagine how bad things must be that Solomon praised the dead and concluded, better is he that has not been born, so that he doesn't have to see these things. But friends, as sad as these scenes are, none of them can compare to the sadness that we're going to observe this morning. This scene is heartbreaking in every way. This scene is arguably the saddest scene ever. And sadly, it may involve you or someone that you love. I want to introduce you to Tom. Tom is a religious man. His name's Tommy, but everybody called him Tom. Tom came up rough and he had a difficult life. But finally, at a certain point, he has decided he's ready to turn his life around. Tom was ready, as some people say, to give his life to Jesus. And so Tom went to the preacher, and he asked him, what do I need to do to be saved? And the preacher was so glad that Tom was there, and and he looked Tom straight in the eyes, and he said, Tom, the first thing you need to know is you don't have to do anything. Jesus has done it all. All you have to do is believe and accept Jesus into your heart. And Tom did. Tom believed and he accepted him. Tom joined the church and he lived the rest of his life according to his new faith. In fact, he was not a fake. He committed himself to his belief. He taught his family. He changed and he became the type of husband he should to his wife. He was a faithful, loving father. He was a giving person, active in the community. In fact, Tom lived in every way what would be considered a good, upstanding life. And the people who saw the change in Tom, they admired his commitment and they rejoiced in it. By the time that you meet Tom, he's actually sick and he's dying. Tom's in his bedroom now. He's surrounded by family and his wife and his children and his grandchildren are with them and they all tell Tom how much they love him and how much he's meant to them and how much he has helped them and and they watch as he's breathing. And slowly but surely it becomes more and more shallow until about 10.30 that night, Tuesday night. Tom breathes his last breath and he dies. A few days later, Tom's funeral is held. And the building is packed, it is overflowing. Tons of people from every walk of Tom's life, from his church to his work to his community, they all came. So many people wanted to speak, they had to stop them. The singing was passionate. The eulogy was actually delivered by Tom's preacher, the one who had told him that all he had to do was believe. As he was giving the eulogy, he told the audience about Tom and how much Tom had changed and how well he knew him and how Tom came to find Jesus and the answer that he gave. And he went on to tell the people, don't cry for Tom. Tom's gone to a better place. He assured Tom's family he has gone to be with the Lord. He told them, Tom right now is hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Please add to this, this thought. Friends, this funeral will be the funeral of almost every religious person who believes in Jesus Christ. Just about every person in the world who professes a belief in Jesus will have a funeral like this one. Now, somebody might say, Don, where's the sadness? I thought you said this is going to be a sad scene. Nothing that I have heard here is sad. But I want you to hold this in your minds because we're going to leave the funeral. You know, God is so good to us in so many ways... One of the things that God does is He shows us the other side of death. He forewarns us so that we won't be surprised. He forewarns us so that we can make changes before it's too late. And so a sermon like this and this sad scene might sound hard, but it's actually God's love because He's saying, this is what it's going to be. I want to tell you now so that you can fix things. And so James 2.26, the Lord defines death this way, the body without the spirit is dead. And so, when the soul leaves the body, that's death. And then Jesus pulls back the curtain on eternity, and He opens it, and He allows us to see what happens when the soul departs. When we die, the soul leaves the body, and it goes to a waiting place for the dead. The Bible calls this Hades. I've got a scene from the chart that I've done on where we go when we die. I thought maybe this would be helpful here. We leave this earth and we die and our soul goes to Hades. It's a waiting place until the day of judgment. The good who die go to Hades, specifically paradise. The bad who die go to Hades, specifically torment. We have a description of this place in Luke sixteen nineteen through 31, where we see that the rich man who was not godly died and he's buried and he lifts up his eyes in torment. And then we're told about a godly man. He's a beggar. He's very poor. His name is Lazarus. But he also dies, and he's escorted by angels to paradise. Sometimes people have the idea that when we die, that we immediately face the judgment, and we immediately go to heaven or hell. But friends, Matthew 25 and other places tell us that's not the case. Tom dies, and he lifts up his eyes in torment. And he's shocked. He feels sick inside, and his heart is racing. Have you ever had something happen to you, and it so shakes you to the core that you almost feel faint? You feel sick. The acid churns in your stomach. You are so overwhelmed. You don't know how you're going to handle this. This is Tom. His heart is racing. He feels sick. He doesn't know what to do. He's utterly confused. He is thinking to himself, I did what the pastor told me to do. I was a good person. I lived that way for years. I don't understand. But he's tormented in the flames. Tom is screaming. He's burning in fire. He just doesn't understand. Tom died on Tuesday. On Saturday, they gather for his funeral. Tom is four days into his eternity. At the funeral, the preacher is going to town. He is telling people, Tom's in a good place. Tom is better off. Tom has gone to be with Jesus. But Tom's not better off. If Tom could go back now, he would change it. But it's too late for Tom. What's Tom going to do? While the crowd is gathered in the building, shouting hooray for Tom, they don't know what's actually happening to Tom. For 12 years... My brother Travis worked in a steel mill. I don't know if you've ever seen the inside of a steel mill or pictures or video and and seen the liquid metal. For that steel to be melted, it has to be somewhere around 3000 degrees. And my brother told me that when you've got this molten metal, that if you will drop a drop of water into it, he said it just explodes and it throws out uh, droplets of melted steel. And he described for me a time this happened. He said someone dropped in water, molten steel exploded out, and a droplet came and it hit a man's hard hat, and before he could even get it off, it burned right through the hard hat and burned his skull. He said that the furnace that they have in there, in order to even approach it, they have to stand behind a heat shield. If they look around the corner, it will burn them. If they're going to get close, they have to put on special aluminum suits lined with insulation, and even then, you can only be there for a few minutes and you've got to get out. Could you imagine what it would be like to to fall into that molten metal? Imagine falling from a height of 50 feet or 100 feet. It might seem like time is in slow motion. You scream, your eyes see it coming. The heat is immense, and you start to feel it from a long distance off, long before you contact it. Imagine the nerves start to burn, and it starts to consume the flesh. The pain would be excruciating, but only for a second or two, because you're going to splash in, and you are dead instantly. But what if you didn't die? What if the nerves continued to feel the pain at the height of the agony? Friends, that's hell. Torment seems to be the precursor to hell, but hell is going to be eternal fire. Friends, everyone who goes to torment is awaiting the day of judgment, and then they will go to hell. They will be cast into the eternal fire. Hell's not going to be molten metal. Hell is going to be unquenchable. Mark describes it as the place where the worm dieth not, the King James says, and the fire is not quenched. The meaning of that, the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched, it means you won't be consumed. Like the one who falls into the molten metal, he's dissolved and it's, and it's over. But if you go to hell, you will continue to burn. Ten thousand years will be day one. In fact, it won't even be day one because there's no time. The fires of liquid metal, they can be turned off, but hell can't. Friends, it won't be worth your pride. It won't be worth being able to say, I was right. It won't be worth honoring your parents' religion. How long will Tom be in Hades? I don't know. That's not known to us. He'll be there till the day of judgment. Matthew 24, 36 says of that day and hour, no one knows, no, not the angels in heaven. Will he be there six months? I don't know. Six years? Six hundred years? Six thousand years? I don't know. But the day is going to come and the Lord is going to empty Hades. He's going to empty the Hadean realm. He's going to bring those who are still living together. And we will all be brought before Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet will sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. That's the people in the realm of the dead, Hades. And we shall be changed. That's those of us who are living. And all of humanity will stand before Jesus Christ. Some on the left, some on the right. And then we go to the saddest scene, arguably, ever seen. Tom's going to meet Jesus on that day. Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus gives us a glimpse into that day. What's going to take place? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Tom still doesn't understand. He is thinking, my pastor told me I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was believe. It's interesting to me how people will say that. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is believe. As we work through Matthew 7, 21, there's kind of a back and forth. Because the Lord says something, the people respond. The Lord says something, people respond. And so Jesus begins by saying, not everyone, and they respond, but we. That is, they're saying, Lord, we don't fit into this category that you are describing. They're going to argue with the Lord, so to speak. And they're going to say, Lord, we we did your will. We called you, Lord. We viewed you as Lord. We prophesied. We cast out demons. We did many wonderful works. And the Lord will say, no. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe you weren't receiving good service, and so you say, I'd like to speak to the manager. And the person you're talking to says, I am the manager. And you know right then you're not going to go any further with this thing. (laughs) I want to talk to your boss. I want to see the owner. I am the owner. And I already told you. That's kind of what it's going to be like when you speak to Jesus on that day. You can't come in. To whom do you appeal? Jesus, I'd like to talk to. Is there somebody? There's nobody else to talk to. I want to suggest to you the next three statements of Jesus in Matthew 7 are what make this perhaps the saddest scene ever seen. The first statement is this. I never knew you. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. They responded, and said, Lord, we've done all of these things. In verse 23, he says, I never knew you. Friends, the all-knowing God, it's not that he's unaware of them and who they are. What does he mean when he says, I never knew you? He means, I never approved of what you've done. You've been following wrong information. Tom went to a preacher, he asked the right question, what do I need to do to be saved? And the preacher told him, you don't need to do anything. Can you imagine how he feels when he hears Jesus disagree? There is so much danger in believing the wrong information about salvation. What must I do to be saved? Arguably is the greatest question that anyone has ever asked, and that makes it the answer, the greatest answer anyone could ever give. This answer will determine one's eternal destiny, and you got to get it right. The second death is waiting. It looms for us. There will be no excused entrances. There will be no exceptions. But you know what? Matthew 7.21 is not the first time Jesus warned about this. In this same chapter, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus has already talked about the possibility, the concern about people getting the wrong information. Just a few verses before, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says this in verse 15 Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. He says, By their fruits you shall know them. Jesus had just warned them, Beware of false prophets. When he talked about this, you step back a couple of more verses, and you get to Matthew 7, 13, and 14, and he says, Enter in at the straight gate. The gate is wide and is broad that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. And then he says, Beware of false prophets. They'll lead you astray. Then he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, this is the saddest scene because of the words, I never knew you. Number two, this is the saddest scene because of these words, depart from me. The first thing Tom hears is, I never knew you. The second thing is, depart from me. Religious people will hear the Lord say, depart from me. Friends, it's heartbreaking. It is too much to contemplate. I mean, spend five seconds thinking about these words from the Lord. What could you think? When you hear such a thing, what is the feeling that goes through you knowing that instead of going to heaven, you're going to hell? One of the things that hurts people most in their lives when, when they survey and ask people these things, one of the things that hurts them the most is unmet expectations. That is, they expect to receive something I wanted, I thought. I thought I was going to get this. I was invested. I was expecting. And the greater the anticipation and expectation, the greater the hurt and the disappointment. Which is why so many marriages struggle. You promised. You vowed. I expected. Boy, it hurts. People will die and they will go into eternity expecting heaven, but they will be told, I never knew you. Depart from me. How does one recover from eternal error? How do you do that? You've learned that you're in error, but you learned it in eternity. How do you recover from that? You expected heaven, but instead of the light, you're going to get darkness. You expected joy, but instead of joy, you get weeping and gnashing of teeth. You expected rest and comfort, but instead you get torment. Instead of relief, there's pain. Instead of hope, there's despair. Eternally, there's no joy, no love, no peace, and the sadness and emptiness you feel will last forever. You know, when you read your Bible and you study about God, there is a constant theme in Scripture, and it goes something like this, Draw nigh unto God, and He will draw nigh unto you. God is constantly pleading, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you a rest. Seek for the Lord... While he may be found, believe me, follow me, come reason with me. We even have a picture of the Lord picking up a child and holding that child near him. Draw close, commune with me, get close. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Can you imagine when people hear, depart from me. I can't have you near me. We can't be close. Depart from me. It will ring in one's ears eternally. Here's the third phrase that makes this perhaps the saddest scene ever seen. And it's this phrase, workers of iniquity. Jesus says one more thing. He says, you are workers of iniquity. Tom doesn't understand that. Workers of iniquity? I have been doing my best to live a good life, not iniquity. The word iniquity is lawlessness. He said, you live like a person without law. Tom and others, either through ignorance or willfulness did not submit to God's law. Now, we're told what to do about ignorance. Paul said it would be this way. Give diligence to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But Tom didn't do that. Tom took somebody's word for it. Tom could have been like the Bereans in Acts 17, 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures whether those things were so. But Tom didn't do that. Tom took somebody's word. But you see, not everyone who is there is going to be there through ignorance. Some will be there willfully. Jeremiah said, Thus saith the Lord, stand in the ways and see for the old paths wherein there is a good way. Walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Rather through ignorance or willfulness, it's lawlessness. Tom's preacher and those who believed the same, they did not submit to the word of Christ. They went beyond what the Lord said. They added to what the Lord said. They took away what the, from what the Lord said, or they refused to do what the Lord said. Paul wrote about... Such people, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. Fantastic. I want them to be saved. Why won't they be saved? Paul says, I bear them record. They have a zeal for God, just like Tom. They have a zeal for God, just like almost all of the religious world. They have a zeal for God, he says, but without knowledge. God says that belief... Listen, this is such an important statement. God says that belief, biblically speaking, is trusting in Him and doing what He says. Faith is trusting in Him and doing what He says. I wonder if God had told Tom to build an ark out of gopher wood, would He have built it? Because that's what belief is. You believe God and you do what He says. If Tom had been with Moses and Israel and God said, put the blood on the doorpost, would Tom have done it? Or would Tom have said, you know, I believe, but I'm not putting the door on the blood post. That would be me saving myself. See, this is the problem in the religious world. Refusal to do what God says is a manifestation of refusing to trust in God. Trusting in God is when He says, do this. And you believe Him. A lack of trust in God is going to cost them their souls. Faith is trusting God and doing what He says. Tom says, all I have to do is believe, and the Lord says, that is lawlessness. You're not getting into heaven. Is this the saddest scene ever seen? Arguably so. It's certainly near the top. But friends, the Bible says there is one more scene that could be even sadder. You know what it is. Peter described it this way. He says, If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. What could possibly be more sad than somebody believing that they're going to go to heaven, dedicating their life to Him, and at the end, showing up in eternity, and being told, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What could possibly be sadder than that? We call them lost sheep. Some parents taught their children about the truth of God, They brought them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They obeyed the gospel. But when they got older, they went into the world. But unlike the prodigal son of Luke 15, they never come back. They got into the pig pen, but they just stayed there. They further, they grew further and further away from the Lord. Their hearts grew harder and harder. And eventually, I don't want to hear about the church anymore. Don't tell me about God. I don't want anything to do with it And they'll die and go to hell. Friends, that's worse. A couple gets married. Both are Christians. One is lured away and pretty soon they stop attending. You know, first they make excuses. It's it's work and it's this and that and I'm tired. And over time they drift away from the Lord and they will die and go to hell. That's more sad. Christians who continue to attend church services but have no interest in the Lord... They come, but they don't get involved. They should be teachers, but they still need to be taught. They never grow. They never add to their faith. They never become fruitful. They do not help the work. They don't get involved. They're never available. They cannot stay, cannot sacrifice, cannot stir, uh, serve. They are near, but not in. They're around, but not apart. They sing that they love Jesus, but in works they deny Him. They still count themselves faithful, but they're the only ones who do. God doesn't. They've fallen away inside the building. And they'll die and go to hell. And that's more sad. It's more sad when members drift away from the Lord than those who have never become Christians. You know, some of them were once on fire for the Lord, but their flame and their fire has gone out. They used to be energetic, enthusiastic, energizers, but now they're bitter complainers and murmurers. They don't help the work, they hinder it, they harm it, they hamper it. They will die and they will go to hell. And that's more sad. Three people were talking in hell, and the first one says, I'm here because I never heard the gospel. The second one says, I'm here because I heard it, but I was told I didn't have to do anything. The third one says, I'm here because I heard it and I obeyed it, but then I went back into the world and I turned away from it. Which one's more sad? Three people were talking in heaven. The first one said, I'm here because I obeyed the gospel and I lived faithfully my whole life. The second one says, I'm here because a friend invited me to a gospel meeting, and I learned the truth, and I obeyed the Lord, uh, but when I, and when I heard that, I changed and I lived faithfully. The third one says, I'm here because I did obey the gospel. I lived faithfully for a while, but then I went astray, I went back into the world, but some faithful brothers and sisters in Christ reached out to me. And because of their care and concern, I repented and I came back home and I lived faithfully. The week that Tom died, the preacher preached Tom into heaven. He recounted the story about how Tom came to him and what he told Tom, just believe. He even quoted some scripture out of context, of course. In fact, he pleaded with other people at the funeral to do the same thing that Tom did. He said, if you'll just believe right now and accept Jesus into your heart, you will be saved like Tom was saved. The family was celebrating the fact that Tom was with Jesus. But Tom actually was not with Jesus. He was in shock. He's sick. He's terrified. He's tormented. He's suffering. Tom would do anything if he would go back, if he could go back. But it was forever too late. Friends, each one of us, one day, likewise, is going to pass away unless the judgment comes first. May we open our eyes to see angels. If we don't, we're going to open our eyes in shock and realize it is forever too late. What do you do then? I want you to know this morning that this sermon, though it's strong, is preached out of the deepest love and concern. God has given us this information so that we can look at it and say right now, I don't want to be like Tom. What a great thing. The Lord has given us opportunity so that we won't be shocked, so that we can fix it. If it rubs you wrong, can you imagine if you had gone to the judgment and we let you go and never told you, and the first time you heard about it was from the lips of Jesus himself. This morning, you still have opportunity to make your, your life right, to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ for which he shed his blood, you can do that by obeying the gospel, hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. While you're still on time side of eternity, let's learn the lesson that the Lord gives us in Matthew 7, 21 and 23, and make sure that we fix things before it's everlastingly too late. Maybe you're here as a member of the church and you need to make some changes in your life, We're ready to assist you. This morning, if you need to respond to the gospel invitation, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing the invitation song.